Hello, 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 everyone. Welcome to the Code Lessons Publishing Podcast. My name is Casey Long, and I have my awesome co-host, Wyatt Sutherland, here with us. Hello. Today we have a very special episode in mind for you all. Today is October the 31st. We all know what that means. It's the day where the veil of the realm of the living and the realm of the dead begins to thin. And we as writers get most of our inspiration from it. Um, But no, in all seriousness, we're going to be talking about horror, writing horror, some tropes, and we'll just see where the conversation goes. But before we get started, please remember to like, share, and subscribe to this video. We really appreciate your support. It truly does mean the world to us. Wyatt? Yeah. Um, so today, we are, like Casey said, we're going to be talking about horror and, and the process of writing horror. This is going to be a bit of a spoilery episode because it's our podcast and we can talk about what we want. So <laughs> uh, we are going to be doing a uh, little bit of some shameless plugging for our for our books that were just released um, this month or this past month. And uh, yeah, so so just be warned, um, this is going to be spoiler territory. So if you're interested in reading our books first... Uh, go ahead and click that link down in the doobly-doo that uh, is going to take you to our bookstore where you can purchase our books and you can purchase them with uh, in paperback or ebook. So without further ado, um, Casey? Yeah, so um, with that being said, I love writing horror it is probably so okay my first book that i remember really sticking with me was pet cemetery by stephen king and mm. it was horrific you know like it, it was a wonderful wonderful book he's a great author but that book scared me to death and some aspects of it still scare me and to me that is one of the aspects that makes a horror book or anything you write that's horror something that really makes it stand out against the others. Like we have the common tropes, you know, we have like the whole, the best friend is actually the killer trope, or we have, you know, like, the jock boyfriend who doesn't believe the supernatural thing that's going on, even though it's readily apparent and he dies, you know, those are common tropes that people think belong in horror. And, you know, they very well might. You're an author or a writer. You get to make your story however you want to make it. But um, there's cliches in horror as there are in anything else. And in my opinion, I think a good horror book is something that doesn't really use those tropes excessively. What do you think, Wyatt? Yeah, well, I mean, I think 
tropes get a bad rep because as we've talked about in our genre talks um, before, tropes are kind of like these cliches and these, these genre conventions. They're useful as long as you're not leaning on them too much, like you said. Um, I think there are some troubling tropes in horror, (laughs) Uh, especially with regards to the treatment of women. Uh, Women, LGBT people often seem to be the, the, the blunt instrument or, or, or the subject of a lot of the torture and I think that has a lot to do with the Hayes Code, which uh, uh, I don't know if you know any. Do you? How much do you know about the Hayes Code, Casey? I have absolutely no idea what that is. Really? Okay. Well, um, back in like the 40s or 50s, this is like an abridged version coming from me. So like there's way better... Um, in Praise of Shadows is a YouTube channel that has a lot of great videos that cover the impact of the Hays Code. So uh, if you want to know more in-depth stuff, I recommend going and checking out his videos. But um, essentially what the Hays Code was, was like 1950 society deciding that that certain things don't belong in film and entertainment. Uh, so for instance, you know, the trope of, of barrier gaze. Um, I don't know if you've heard about that trope, but it's essentially, it came from the Hays Code, which essentially the way that it worked was if a gay person or an LGBT person at all is in your story, then it either has to be the bad guy or they have to die by the end. Um, because nothing that you know, refuted this, the quote unquote sanctity of marriage, uh, could be portrayed as good in, 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 in TV. And this, this was, this started in like the 1950s and you can, if you pay attention, you can really see the effects of it on, on, um, you can see it in graphic novels. The Hays Code really affected comics. Um, you can see it in TV. You can see it in movies, both lo- like low-budget B-movies and as- even really especially the more higher-budget movies. Um, and, and like a lot of the troubling tropes that have become common in horror since the 1950s kind of stem from the Hays Code and what the Hays Code kind of pigeonholed writers into doing with their characters. I think I do actually, now that you bring it up, that's the one that, um, that's like the whole industry guidelines movement that kind of prohibited like suggestive nudity, um, certain sexual stuff. Yeah. Yeah. I, I have heard of that. That's crazy. It kind of, it came around before we had things like rating, so like PG thirteen and uh, or M for mature and video games. It came around before we had those those ratings, the kind of ESRB. Um, but the Hays Code heavily influenced what the ESRB would go on to to value with regards to rating uh, movies and and video games. Uh, and it didn't really 
affect book like writers book writers were they weren't unaffected but right book writers were way more capable of um getting around the Hays code with suggestive use of language rather than uh and turn a phrase which is kind of like the value of the written word because it can be endlessly adapted to new situations versus a, a more visual medium like movies or video games where you know it's kind of in your face and you know you see you can see what happens or you don't see what happens on screen whereas the written word kind of gives you a lot more imaginative leeway and that was uh, what a lot of writers during the time after the time of the Hayes code have taken advantage of is those loopholes wow well I'm glad we've uh, stepped away from that a little bit at least um mm-hmm and that's what I love about writing, man, is with writing, you have the freedom. Like, don't get me wrong. There are, as a publishing company, I have noticed that there are certain industry set guidelines that mm-hmm. before I even got into this didn't even know existed. So, I mean, you're always going to have guidelines like that that try to prohibit certain things or tailor stuff mm-hmm. to a, a certain focal point. But um, I think that's the beautiful part of writing, though, is you have the freedom to write whatever you want to write about. If people don't want to read it, they don't have to. Um, mm-hmm. But Yeah, I mean, Stephen King was writing after the Hays Code, so... <laughs> yeah. Um, and, and so I, I think one of the things that... I have endeavored to do with regards to like the usage of these common tropes is um, figure out different ways of, of doing them. So like um, one, one kind of trope is that, you know, you have to have kind of a, uh, or strong women usually die. I don't know if you noticed that in like horror movies, it's like the strong women usually usually end up dying but it's like the more meek kind of idealized characters that kind of operate as like this picture of perfect femininity um according to more conservative um views like those end up being the characters those kind of like quote-unquote you know virgin women they end up being the ones that live through the end um, and, and everyone else is punished all, you know, think about, um, uh, Friday the 13th, Friday the 13th is a huge example of the way, you know, the Hays code influence, the Hays code was made and influenced by these kind of Reagan, Reaganite conservative values that led to, um, you know, the drug war. So Jason kills every, every person at, at the camp that did drugs uh and anyone that had sex ended up being killed by jason it was the you know it's the kind of pure the pure um characters that end up escaping in the end and everyone else is kind of quote-unquote punished um and so one thing that i tried to do with 
my with honeysuckle horror um is is figure out you know for instance you have the character Ephra and and she is a strong female character she's a doctor um she she asserts herself in, in situations when she's being devalued or diminished and um then you know she she lives at the end so she you've got this strong assertive female character who makes it through the whole thing and i, I knew from the beginning i was like um she is not going to die I didn't really know stepping into writing the book who was going to die. Um, and I, I really didn't know that no one was going to die in the end. But I felt like um, that in and of itself is kind of a subver subversion to have kind of almost, you know, a happy ending. And uh, we'll get into the uncanny here in a minute, but. Have you ever yeah. heard of the hear no evil, see no evil, speak no evil trope? Um, explain it to me. I probably have, I probably know of it. I just don't know of it by that name. So in most horror related stuff, there's typically like a monster involved, you know, and there is this trope and it's still very apparent in today's like writing society um basically like with hear no evil um you create a monster that can um you know it can communicate with the victim and its voice could either drive them mad um or the monster silent and because the monster's silent, you know, it creeps around, the victim is being stalked by it. Or in, um, like what we saw in A Quiet Place, that would be an example of a hear no evil type of monster, you know, something that its predation works off of auditory signals. Um, with see no evil, the monsters either grossly, grossly like body horror level disgusting, like the creature from the thing or the fly, um, or so like something that you really want to see no evil as in like something that you really want to not look at. Right. Or the monster could be stealthy. It could be invisible, like in the Invisible alien. Man. Oh, okay. What came to my mind was Alien. <laughs> oh well, yeah. E alien would be a perfect example of see no evil, and then speak no evil. This one's kind of more like supernatural. Like if you speak the name of the demon, you can summon it, type of stuff. Or with speak no evil, the protagonist in it is typically mute as weird as that may be um, for a horror trope. Um, it actually happens quite a bit in some horror novels. The protagonist is mute. They can't call out for help, even though the monster's right there, or they can call out for help, but because it's such a bizarre, you know, thing that they're saying, no one believes them. 
and the you know those that horror trope I've noticed is very very apparent, even more so today than it was 30, 40 years ago. Uh, we see it in Stephen King. We see it in modern movies like A Quiet Place, The Invisible Man, um, The Conjuring, you know. And when when I was writing Harwin Hospitality, and this is something I really like give kudos to Lovecraft for, not to, you know, go back to Lovecraft. Y'all know I love him. Um, Lovecraft broke away from the monster tropes and he created something that was worse you know something that explores these supernatural forces that are so powerful it's beyond the realm of human understanding that is a monster that knows no bounds you know and i kept that in mind when i wrote horror and hospitality and you know from the nights that I've like reached out to you for brainstorming and to help with some writer's block. It's really hard to write Cosmic Car. It's probably the most difficult thing I've ever done. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's it's definitely a difficult thing to um, to invoke the uncanny, and that that's something that um, you know Lovecraft kind of was particularly skilled in doing because of his own his own mental health and his experiences with feeling the uncanny himself um and and the thing about lovecraft is that it's not it's not that you know if you were to take a lovecraft story and deposit it word for word straight into the the straight into a script format and then make a movie out of it, it might not end up being as scary as it is reading. Because, you know, think about Shadow Over Innsmouth. Um, It's just kind of fish people. (laughs) You know, and and of course, that's fish people can be scary. But we're at a time when, you know, I I can't remember what the movie is called. I think it's called like the, The Shape of Water. Um, when the fish people are actually the good guys, like, you know, so it's like the way that things have shifted perceptions have shifted, um, makes it a little bit difficult to write the uncanny because in order to write uncanny horror, which is kind of the same thing, you know, existential dread, um, is what gets played on a lot in cosmic horror or in, in Eldritch horror situations um you have to understand your cultural context um because if you just tried to kind of rewrite lovecraft stories that's what i think was so good about harrowing hospitality is that you moved it into the modern day because if you just try to make um uh a lovecraft story set in its own time period then it kind of starts to feel a little outdated like and it's not really that creepy anymore um there's been a lot of video games made based on lovecraft books and none of them have really delivered on the feeling of cosmic horror as much as um games like control 
for instance. If you, I don't know if you ever played the, the video game. Uh, I think it was only on PlayStation. Might have been on Xbox, but um, Control delivers more on cosmic horror than really any game that I've ever played before. And it's like, uh, just on the way that it, it's said in like this kind of, it's like an office building. You're just running around an office building. And, and as soon as you step outside, kind of step outside of your cubicle, you're surrounded by, um, you know, you step outside of the safe areas and all of a sudden you're surrounded by everyone who's dressed like you trying to kill you and it's like it's like i feel like that is a delivery on the uncanny more than anything else is like taking the mundane taking something like a like a hotel uh and turning it into a place where you know it looks normal it feels normal but there's just these little things that like signal to our monkey brains, our lizard brains that huh, there's something wrong here. And in order to write that, you have to understand what's normal. Have I ever told you what gave me the inspiration for horror and hospitality? What's that? I was working at a hotel right in the middle of the pandemic. Okay. And I was a night auditor and we were really, really slow. It was a, um, it was a holiday in express and I was just sitting there at night, you know, after I did my, um, you know, my night audit paperwork and I cleaned a little bit and got all my stuff done. I would still have like four or five hours in the middle of the night, just there by myself. And there was a lot of weird stuff that started to happen not mm-hmm. supernatural stuff, but they were weird because night after night after night, I would look at this stuff and notice that it, it would never change. And that lack of change was something that really started to creep me out because I was like, you know, this is horrifying because you're isolated in this place you pick up on things that you normally wouldn't pick up on and they just never change. And that was, you know, in Harwin hospitality, Samson quickly picks up on the mundane life. That is life during the pandemic. Mm -hmm. We all had to change during it. However, with the pandemic, Samson didn't want to change. He wanted things to go back to normal. And he quickly finds himself on a spiral of madness as he works at the Orem Blue Hotel. So the the whole thing stemmed from my experience as a night auditor. There was a lot of um, just nights where you know, my mind would just drift across weird planes of reality, just looking at stuff and thinking, so, you know. <laughs> yeah. And, I, yeah, I feel like that's such a, that's a good fear to tap into and in, in kind of like the modern, you know, whether you're talking about blue collar or white collar workers, you're talking about like, yeah, this feeling of like nothing's changing. Like I, Every day I go do the same thing. I worked at a factory for 
for um, a couple of summers while I was um, in high school. And I just remember like that being the closest to an ATL (laughs) uh, that I had ever been at because it was just every day you just get up, you go, you do the same thing for eight hours. Um, And that in and of itself is pretty horrifying. I think it's, you know, like you said, just that feeling of getting up every day, doing the same thing, talking to the same people, sometimes about the same things. Well, you know, it, 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 sir, it's like this, this fertile ground for very cosmic and existential dread. Yeah. It's something about just the mundane repetitiveness of life, I guess. Um, and that's unique that, that, I mean, like maybe, Oh, it was kind of starting in Lovecraft's day because he was dealing with industrialism and stuff like that. And he was, he lived all the way up until world war two, which, you know, industrialism is in full swing by that point. Um, but you know, you've got a whole different feel about what it means to be alive today. than you think, you know, even people had what, 200 years ago. Oh yeah. It's a whole different, it's a whole different sensation to, to be human today than it would have been when the workplace and the world is so different. It's so, you know, bureaucratized in this way that we just all kind of serve as cogs in a machine. And that is a setup for a Neolithotep <laughs> story. If I've ever heard one. <laughs> um, I got a question for you uh, while we're on What's the that? subject of our books. Um, what was your favorite part of writing the honeysuckle massacre? My favorite part. Well, um, honeysuckle horror. My apologies. I, I keep remembering the old name on it. <laughs> yeah. Well, uh, for the audience, um, the, it, the book that is now honeysuckle horror in its manuscript form, I was calling it honeysuckle massacre. Um, and I don't know. I just wanted to change the name. So let me know if you think that, uh, the old name was better. Um, but yeah, my favorite part, I think my favorite part was honestly the chase scenes. Um, I think the chase, the chase scenes were like the easiest thing to write for me. Um, the pacing of a chase scene, it, it fits right in with my comfortable pacing, which is fast. I love writing things that are happening beat by beat quickly in quick repetition. And the chase scenes, that's the way I love to write them was uh, where the characters are getting chased by the these clerics. I'm kind of like this uh, terrible sort of supremacist order um they're getting chased around the grounds of the estate and you know sometimes they get away for a little bit but then the clerics always seem to catch back up and it's and it those scenes those suspense scenes um are my were my favorite part to write um i think the scariest scene i think uh, 
to write for me was the the tunnel scene um so you have for context what's essentially happening is running away from the clerics they have um kind of gone into these tunnels that serve as kind of servants walkways underneath the estate in which all of the characters are trapped and the uh the clerics aren't necessarily chasing them in this scene excuse me but it was scary because it's completely dark and that was difficult to write for me i was struggling to I think one thing I was struggling to do was to keep track of where everybody's at because I'm trying to write from their perspective and it's pitch black. So, uh, in my imagination, it's like I'm getting lost with the characters and that was kind of difficult to write because I was losing track of like, okay, where did he make a left turn here? Or, (laughs) (laughs) um, and I was like, how do I get them back together? Um, and that was that was difficult, but it was also a really scary scene because one of the characters is actually kind of succumbing to the madness that um, everyone else at the estate is kind of deep in right now, and he he's kind of been resisting it for a little bit, um, but he's falling into it, and it was this weird scene of like writing this sort of um, neurotic situation where he's hearing voices he thinks he's his friends but it's not um he hears a voice and knows that it's his friend but then when he he reaches out to to touch the person um he's not there and and that that uh you know honeysuckle was really hard to write because it bridged a lot of different horror genres it was supernatural horror but it was also um it was also kind of ghost horror but it was also suspense and um yeah it was really difficult to write but it was really fun too it was really fun figuring out how all the pieces fall together it was really fun reading it i i I will tell you that like anyone listening to our podcast i highly recommend if you want a good paced out like horror story Honeysuckle horror is the way to go, like straight up. Um, and I say that because you make use of tropes in a way that doesn't make them cliche. You know what I mean? So, mm-hmm. um, with that being said, Wyatt, I believe we are nearing our departure time. Yeah, it looks like it. Well, do you have anything else you want to add before we get on with this spooky day? Uh, no, yeah. I mean, um, everybody who, you know, listens, thank you for your support. Thank you for your, uh, you know, attendance to these things. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you for going and buying our books at coalescencepublishing.com. Um, just you know keep on keep on 
stay tuned. I, I'm sorry. I was trying to figure out what I was trying to say. <laughs> That's okay. Uh, stay tuned. Yeah, because there's more coming. There's more of Gaslamps, Gunsmoke, and Gothica coming. Um, we've All of the writers here have uh, so much planned, and it's, it's going to be a fun year. It's... Um, I'm excited for everybody to have a great spooky day and uh, everybody just be safe. There's, you know, you know, there's just a lot of weirdos out there. So, yeah. And um, I will say one thing. Um, We really do appreciate your support. Um, We are accepting interviews at the moment. So if you're an author or you're someone in the writing community, or if you just like our podcast and just want to talk to us, by all means, reach out to authors at coalescencepublishing.com and just let us know you want to be on the podcast. We'll be more than happy to work with your schedule. Um, Other than that, I hope you all have a safe and happy Halloween. And if you don't celebrate Halloween, then be safe regardless and Keep on writing, keep on doing what you do, and we'll see you next time.